0: So Jesus, help us to understand those words and be led by you and be changed by you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Good to see all of you here. Thank you for being here and Merry Christmas and all of that. Um, there is a comedian named John Christ who makes funny videos that satirize church life and being a Christian. And there's one called Church Parking Lot Road Rage that kind of made me laugh. So
1: see if any of this is familiar to you. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just gonna speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, Okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is gonna wear that. I love this church. It's just like come as you are, you know what I'm saying? How do I look though? Does the jacket go with the shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents, expected mother. Who doesn't have a parking spot these days? I have been here 27 years. I deserve respect. Oh yeah, go ahead, take my parking spot. You. Listen, she probably needs Jesus more than me, honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... Jesus, give me strength. This is so str... Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of I the- will oh, move hey, aren't that- you on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the room. Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online.
0: (laughs) You ever do that? Did you do it today? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. He's poking fun at what is called consumer Christianity, the, the idea that Jesus' job, and then by extension the church's job, is to be the dispensers of religious goods and services and give me what I want. Music that people like, sermons that make people feel good, programs for kids and men and women and coffee and shuttles and donuts and all kinds of stuff. Now all of that's good. All of that is good stuff. The programs we have here are good. We, we stopped doing our evil programs programs years ago, (laughs) but if what it turns us into is consumers of religious goods and services insisting that everything be according to my tastes, my calendar, my convenience, rather than being an authentic community where we sacrifice some of those things for the sake of others and become transformed by Jesus, if that's not what's going on, then it robs us of God's power in our lives. And consumer Christianity has a lot more to do with the American consumer economy and the logic of the consumer economy than it really does with the Bible. People even talk about going, quote, church shopping, right? And most of us are some kind of mix of of kind of, it's not either or. There's a lot of consumer Christian in me. There's a lot of consumer Christian in me, but also places where I really am trying to follow Jesus. And the chief culprits in this isn't y'all, right? It's pastors like me who cater to a consumer mindset because in the logic of American consumer economy, bigger is better and we want to keep more of you coming. But if we're not careful, and again, all that's good stuff, but if we're not careful, it can rob us of the real, radical, making-new, life-giving, joy-inducing, peace-producing adventure of following the real risen Jesus. And it robs us in a couple of ways. The first is it shrinks our lives. Jesus promises to make all things new, to revive people out of poverty, restore families and marriages and change the world, but then we shrink that down to, did I like the music? Did I find the parking spot I wanted? When we approach choosing a church or when we approach our faith the same way that we approach where to buy our groceries, right? then, then rather than being transformed by Jesus, we start to complain if we don't like the religious goods and services that we're getting. And, that th- and, not, and not ever think, you know, that thing I don't like, that music I don't like, or that program I don't like, I don't like it, but maybe it's good for someone else. And rather than think that and pray for them and accept that, we kind of can just become enslaved. It's just consumer Christianity becomes one more form of slavery to our personal desires. And then second, it shrinks our lives, and second, we become who we don't want to be. In my former church, the Sunday after 9-11, the church was just packed with people, as most churches were. Right? Well, the next day, we had multiple neighbors in our office literally yelling because there were cars parked on their street that Sunday. And they said things like, all those cars, it just made me feel unsafe. Like, are you kidding me? Like, people going to church scares you? Right? And, and then they said, this could lower our property values if this keeps up. Right? And we're just like, oh, my goodness. And I thought, if younger wanted to change the world full of energy you, if younger you could see you now worried about you know, property value, would younger you be like, yay, we turned out awesome. And it's not just the neighbors. That's, that's what consumerism does to us. It shrinks our world, right? And we become people we don't want to be. And it wasn't just the neighbors. There were people in, in the, my former church, as in all churches, where got upset if the music wasn't to their liking. Or one woman was like obsessed with the flowers, and they were never the right color, and they were never in the right place. And I'm like, oh, Jesus did not die on a cross, so you could fuss about the flowers, Right? That's what, it, that's what it does to us, it just shrinks our lives and we become people we don't want to be. Now, it's okay to have preferences and express our preferences, for sure. Right? And we want to hear your preferences, so send those emails, that we want to hear that. But we also all, myself included, have to be aware of the dangers of being too consumer-oriented and what it does to us as human beings. And I put myself right in there. Because if full of energy wanted to change the world, younger me could see me now. Would younger me be excited? And in some ways, I think younger me would be excited and say, yeah, that's good. But I think in other places, younger me would be horrified and like, oh my goodness, I have got to get into therapy now. This is so depressing, right? I mean, seriously, that's what you're worried about? Like your retirement portfolio? Like, and, and, and that's what excites you when people think you're successful and like Mariner's tickets are a highlight for you? Right? Like, dude, because, you know, younger me would totally say dude all the time, right? Like, dude, you got to get a life. And, and what happened to our hair? What did you do with our hair? You lost our hair. Careless person. By the way, one of the reasons teenagers and young adults are so important in this church and to the rest of us is youth can rekindle vision and passion in all of the rest of us, which is why it's so important that our youth and our young adults are part of this church. Because, see, here's the thing. The real Jesus offers so much more. The real Jesus offers so much more than consumer Christianity. He didn't come that first Christmas so that we could go to church. He came for so much more. Now, even in phrasing it that way, I am catering to my own consumer mentality, right? Jesus offers more. Well, better, because if I'm going to quit consumer Christianity, by golly, what's in it for me? But it's where we are, it's where I am, so let's just start there. And in the text we read, Jesus faces a pack of consumer Christians. He's just fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, and he met their needs. Jesus meets their needs, churches should meet our needs, that's a good thing. It's just that there's more. And Jesus says, you're looking for me because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I met your needs but don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then he says, I am the bread of life. And in Greek, there are two words, the original Greek, there are two words for life. Bios, which just means biological existence, right? And zoe, which is quality of life. And there's a big difference. Nobody wants eternal existence, right? That sounds horrible. We're looking for life, meaning, purpose, energy, joy, And whenever Jesus uses the word life, he uses the word zoe. And and eternal life, when he says eternal life, it doesn't just mean going to heaven when we die. It means we can live the eternal kind of life now, here. Close connection to Jesus, deep relationships with others, a life of meaning and adventure, where marriages and families are restored and people come out of poverty and all kinds of stuff. All the things that make life worth living. That's what Jesus means when he says life. But notice how the crowd responds. At this, they begin to grumble about him. And that word grumble is very deliberate in it, and it alludes back to when Israel, God was taking Israel to the promised land, and he fed them with this substance called manna that they would find on the ground. And the Bible says they grumbled. And they said, all we have to eat is this manna. Because that's what we, consumers do. We grumble, right? When we don't get the service we want, you know, write a bad Yelp review so Jesus then shows by the way there are Yelp reviews of this church too so you could do that if you want to. just parenthetically <laughs> just saying just make it good that's all right <laughs> so Jesus shows this group of consumer Christians how to quit consumer Christianity and here at the height of our consumer season at Christmas maybe there's some good reminders here and the first is to quit consumer Christianity simply want better Like, just want more, want better. Don't settle for consumer Christianity. Like, want the real thing, the bigger thing that Jesus brings. Second, consume Jesus, not churchianity. Jesus uses a metaphor here of consuming. He's just fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, so he extends the whole bread image. And he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them." Now a few verses later he says he means this spiritually, not literally, and he's probably referring to communion, but he presses the metaphor to the point where it's uncomfortable, right? Like he says over and over, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the, in the Greek, in the original Greek, it's even kind of worse because the word he uses for eat means to literally chomp on. And, and it's often used for cows chewing their cud. Right? So like, chomp on my flesh. Right? You're like, stop, stop. It's uncomfortable, right? It's weird. Right? It's, he's just pushing it as far as he can go. But what he's getting at is he's saying, I got to be your food. I got to be the thing that fuels you because that's what food does right it it gives us energy and it keeps us going so what's your food what's my food what do we hunger for what keeps us going career or school success romantic relationships whether or not you're popular what's your food Jesus says, I- I've got to be that food you because everything else, everything else is going to wear out, right? You can, have, you can have a 4.0 in school, but somehow the joy doesn't last for that very long, right? And then you've got to keep it up for next quarter. You can have the coolest vacation ever, but then it ends. The best reputation, it won't satisfy. The best careers eventually come to an end, and then what? Jesus says, I'll give you meaning that doesn't end, joy in spite of pain, unbreakable connection to God and undefeatable courage in the face of fear. But I've got to be your food. I've got to be the thing that energizes you. And a consumer Christian who just goes to Jesus for what they can get out of him will never know the power of Jesus to really change their lives. It's not going to yield the eternal kind of life. Pastor Tim Keller uses the analogy of a coin in a vending machine and, and if the coin doesn't drop all the way down, right, you don't get the soda or the cracker or whatever it is you're trying to get out of the vending machine. So then what do you do? Right? Well, you shake the tar out of the vending machine right, to get it to give you what you want. But the problem is the coin didn't go all the way down. So unless it goes all the way down, the machine won't produce what it's promised to produce. Faith in Jesus will never produce what it promises unless Jesus goes all the way down, unless we engage with Jesus in prayer and wrestle with scripture and seek to conform our lives to it. You know, we may hear about people radically transformed by Jesus, people having joy in hard times, marriages healed, families restored, right? But you won't see it in your life because Jesus hasn't gone all the way down. Which brings me to the next way to quit consumer Christianity, and that is live loved. Because it's not about, right, it's not about doing church. That's not what this whole thing is about. It's about a relationship with Jesus. So if in this sermon you've been thinking, yeah, you know what, I am kind of a consumer Christian, right? Well, that's where the good stuff starts to happen because it's when we admit that, when we admit that we're messed up and we go to Jesus with it. My motives are incredibly mixed. I really do love Jesus for who he is and not what he can do for me. And yet, there's still a whole lot of consumer Christian in me as well. My motives are a mess. But a real relationship with Jesus begins when I say that, Lord, my motives are a mess. And then I start to experience his love, which is ultimately what changes us, is an experience of his love. There's a commercial on TV right now that my, for the holidays that my kids think is just kind of funny because it shows this family on Christmas morning and the voiceover says, it's Christmas Day and this family is pump pumped. Okay, I don't know what meeting came up with that slogan, but that meeting needed to go just a little bit longer, right? Like, did they high-five, like, parumpa-pump-pumped, yeah, yeah, let's go to lunch, right? Quitting consumer Christianity isn't a matter of getting parumpa-pump-pumped, right? Just trying harder, that's not what it's about. It's realizing how incredibly loved we are. Jesus, in this passage, makes this amazing statement, whoever comes to me, I will never throw out. Like that's a lot of power in those words. No matter how messed up our motives are, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how totally screwed up we are, Jesus will never cast us out. We are always loved. And that's the eternal life, because the eternal kind of life is, isn't an it. The good life isn't an it. It's a he. It's a relationship. So what's the it you're chasing that's not satisfying Grades, popularity, money, whatever it is, Jesus says, You're not bad, you're hungry. And I am the bread of life, so come to me. Want better, consume Jesus, live loved. Next, let Jesus offend you. Let Jesus offend you. After Jesus tells them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, it says many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Indeed. And Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, it deeply offended them, deeply offended their religious traditions, right? And he didn't give them what they want. After he fed 5,000 people, it says, Jesus, knowing they intended to make him king by force, see, there it is, consumer Christianity, Jesus, do my political agenda, right? Do my religious agenda, kick the Romans out. He knew they were going to do that, so he withdrew to a mountain. Right? They, that, they wanted to make him king. Give us what we want, Jesus. Kick out the Romans. But he offended both their religious tradition and their politics. The real Jesus will offend you. Consumer Christians are never offended by Jesus because they just assume Jesus thinks the way they do. But the real Jesus is going to offend you. And in fact, a really good way to know you're following a made-up Jesus is he hates all the same people you hate. Right? And he likes all the religious traditions you like. And he always votes the way you vote on every single issue down the line. That's a made-up Jesus, right? So say, let's say something's happening in church, right? A way out of consumer Christianity is to let ourselves be offended. So let's say something's happening in church, right? You, you don't like the music. Never in this church, right? But in another church that you're visiting, okay? Something's going on you don't like, right? Just to ask yourself, is this a Bible thing or is this just a preference thing? Right? And preferences are fine, but there's a difference between a Bible thing and a preference thing. Right? And hey, I don't like this song, but maybe someone else is connecting them to God. So God help that person, my brother, sister in Christ, be connected. It's similar in politics. When was the last time Jesus offended your politics? If Jesus never offends our politics, we are not following the real Jesus because he offended everyone's politics. Liberal, conservative, it didn't matter. And when consumer Christians hear something from Scripture or in a sermon that they don't like or from a friend politically that they don't like, They usually consumer Christians dismiss it with the lazy cop-out, well, that's just your interpretation. Here's why that's lazy, right? Are there things in Scripture that are not clear and open to interpretation? yes. There are. There's even more things, though, plenty of things that are crystal clear and they're repeated over and over and over again. They're clear, right? Like Mark Twain said, it's not the pi- parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. Now, a consumer Christian simply assumes that Jesus is for and against everything that they're for and against, but never actually do the kind of honest search of Scripture to figure out if that's true or not. They bend Jesus to fit their politics rather than bend their politics to fit the real Jesus. And if right now you're sitting there going, yeah, that other side politically, those liberals, those conservatives, yeah, they, I hope they're hearing this sermon. Well, there you go again. Because we all do this, including me. When followers of Jesus hear something they don't like politically, they say, Oh, I don't like that. Is that true, Jesus? Because I think I disagree with you. But I want the real you, Jesus, so I'm gonna search the scriptures. I'm gonna wrestle with the Bible. I'm gonna be open to correction. I'm gonna listen respectfully to find the real you. And if we do that, I think we're gonna end up with a very jumbled politics, looking conservative some ways and liberal others. Want bigger, consume Jesus, live loved, let Jesus offend you, and finally be a disciple. Because that's the opposite of consumer Christian it's a disciple. And a disciple is someone who is eagerly learning how to be like Jesus. So in everything, say, Jesus, help me be like you. Here in school, help me be like you in this classroom. In this meeting, help me be like you. In this moment on my football or basketball or soccer team, help me be like you, Jesus. How I win and how I lose, let it be like you. Right now when my parents are driving me crazy, help me be like you. Right now in this argument with a friend or with my spouse or a coworker, Jesus, help me be like you in everything. That's a disciple. As you know, my oldest child is in her first quarter at the University of Washington, and on her first paper for a literature class, she got a low grade, a grade she had never seen before on a paper. And she thought the TA had graded it unfairly. So I said, send me the paper, and I'll take a look at it, because this used to be my former career, right? This was my career. I did it for a living. I taught literature in a university. This is my expertise, right? So I read the paper, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out why that grade was so low, even accounting for parental bias. And so then, in my mind, I had a full-on, self-righteous, helicopter-parent fantasy, where I walked into that TA's office, showed her my PhD from Stanford, right? And said, listen here, you little TA, I did your job. This is not how you do it. Let me learn you a thing or two. Sit down, I'm talking, you're listening, boom, mic drop. Now, of course, I would never do that, I don't think. <laughs> and it didn't last very long, but just the, re- just, just the fact that I had that thought reminded me I really do need Jesus. I need Jesus every minute. So here, as I'm reading my daughter's very poorly graded paper, Jesus, help me be like you. Because, see, a consumer Christian blows right past that moment, and they just assume Jesus approves of everything they do. Consumer Christians want Jesus to be more like them Disciples want to be like Jesus. A while back, I got an email from a man in our church and, and after a sermon where I'd said that often all we want is $3 worth of Jesus because it's safer that way. So the next day, he emailed me and he wrote this. He said, your depiction of wanting a $3 Jesus hit me in the spiritual gut. The result of getting only what you, quote, buy with this kind of attitude is sobering. And he went on and he wrote, so I was walking to lunch today in Seattle and passed a homeless guy begging. Usually I walk on by since of course all of them just want booze or drugs. I should know since I'm such an expert in their lives, being Christian allows me to pass such instantaneous judgments. Wait, have I only $3 worth of Jesus in my life? Well, the Holy Spirit nudged me to buy the guy lunch. I kept walking. Holy Spirit kept nudging, I kept walking. I turned around and saw the guy was walking away. Phew, next time I'll listen to the spirit. Time for lunch. 30 minutes later, I finished my lunch and of course the holy spirit was not letting up. So I bought a lunch that I would like to eat and set out to find this guy again. And there outside my office building I saw the guy, same guy a block away. Dell is his name. He stays at the Bread of Life mission nightly for $5. He showers, gets up each morning for his daily attempt to make another $5. His smile was bigger than mine and had been for a long time, and I told him so. His breath had no alcohol on it. He didn't bite. He was, well, just like anyone Jesus would talk to if he were here in Seattle. I asked about his relationship with God, and he said it was personal. Fair enough. For now, it's a start. I'm going to seek him out frequently. I love that. I'm going to have a relationship with this guy. I'm going to seek him out frequently with a lunch and let's see our God work in his life. Pastor, I'm no good. However, I can't stop smiling now. See, because Jesus brings joy. Real Jesus brings joy. Shame on me for only having a $3 Jesus. So with Dell in mind, I'm changing with the Holy Spirit's power. Tomorrow, the Bread of Life mission is getting a visit and with a check in hand for Dell and all of his friends' rent for the next month. I can't wait to see where the Spirit will take me next. See, he took a step out of consumer Christianity, wanted a bigger experience, let Jesus be his food, let Jesus offend him, challenge him outside of his comfort zone, and he is trying to be a disciple. And when I asked his permission if I could share this story, he said, Leave my name out of it, but I want you to use Dell's name because I want the whole church to pray for Dell. So pray for Dell. And the result for this man is he has a bigger experience of Jesus where a lunch break, where Jesus breaks through on a lunch break and does something cool. Now your story is going to be different. Maybe it's going to be to forgive someone. Maybe it's going to be to change your mind about something. But which of these steps do you need to take to get out of consumer Christianity and experience a bigger Jesus? One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes at the end of this story where after this really hard teaching, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and it's really weird. And it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I love that last line. In the face of this hard teaching, Peter doubles down on Jesus and says, we've tested the alternatives. You're the only one that gives us the eternal kind of life. It's found only in you. It's not in the promotion or the fancy college or having a perfect relationship because there isn't such a thing. It's not in more accolades or attaways or politics or money. Those things are good, but they're like regular old bread. They satisfy for a little bit and then you're just hungry again. But Jesus, you're the real thing. So even when I don't understand, even when it's hard, even when it confuses me, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you because you, Jesus, you alone, only you, not the consumer Christian you, but the real, risen, radical, making new of all things you, Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. So I choose you. So Jesus, we choose you. Help us to choose you over and over and over again. We come with mixed up, messed up motives, God. Sometimes we really do just look at you as dispenser of religious goods and services, make my life easy. But God, we also see that you are the God who came from heaven to earth, born as a baby, died on a cross, raised again because you loved us that much. So Jesus, help us to follow the real, radical, risen you. And we'll be grateful people. In your name, Jesus, amen.